Welcome to session six of our Knowing God study. This week we'll be looking at chapters dealing with God's wrath, His goodness and severity, and His jealousy. Now, none of these topics sit very well with our modern sensibilities. Influenced as they are by what the sociologist Christian Smith has called moralistic therapeutic deism. Now, this is a set of assumptions about life where God is really more like a divine butler. He's distant, he's unintrusive in our lives until we need help and we call on him. And our goal is not so much to conform our lives to his revealed will, but to seek happiness as we understand it, as long as we're nice to other people. So to help us wrap our minds around ideas like God's wrath, his severity, and even what his goodness can mean, his jealousy, these chapters in Knowing God, they help us make room for, for a fuller picture of who God is according to the whole scope of Holy Scripture. These chapters call us to have imaginations that are renewed by the way God is revealed in the entire scope of Scripture. And it's a way that challenges and corrects our often thin understanding of who God is. And in order to see how J.I. Packer does this in these chapters, I think it's first helpful for us to reflect on an attribute of God, a truth about Him that will help us give us a framework for understanding His wrath, His jealousy, His goodness. And that truth or that attribute is God's self-sufficiency. In his classic book, The Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer, writing about God's self-sufficiency, says something that I think will help us frame our discussion of these seemingly more challenging and difficult aspects of God's character. Tozer writes this, God did not bring the worlds into being to meet some unfulfilled need in himself, as a man might build a house to shelter him against the winter cold, or plant a field of corn to provide him with necessary food. The word necessary is wholly foreign to God. The word necessary, it's wholly foreign to God. From the beginning, we need to rid ourselves of this notion that God created the world because he needs it. If we're to grapple with his wrath, grapple with his jealousy, these more challenging aspects of his character, we need to rid ourselves of that idea. Or the idea that we exist because he needs us, that he needs our devotion, he needs our attention and our affection. You see, left to ourselves without the illumination of the Holy Spirit and Holy Scripture, we often imagine God to be much like the pagan gods of the ancient times, subject to human whims and feelings, petty and vengeful, emotionally needy and dependent on their creatures. But if the word necessary is wholly foreign to God, then God did not create out of need. He created out of love. And imagining God as something more like a human being, just on a grander scale, it won't do. 
And so what I would like to suggest then is these chapters in Knowing God, they expand our imagination's capacity for seeing God as He truly is represented in all of Holy Scripture, for who He truly is, so that our misconceptions, our common misconceptions about things like His wrath, His goodness, and His jealousy are revealed to be rooted in this fundamental misunderstanding of His nature that God created out of need. So with that in mind, let's think about His anger. His anger is not rooted in need. It's not rooted in not getting something from us. His goodness is something more splendid and robust than just mere kindness. And His jealousy has nothing to do with what we imagine to be a petty and needy possessiveness. For all these ways of construing what we often think of are these difficult aspects of God's character, they're rooted in that sub-biblical and human-centered, frankly, way of imagining these attributes. Packer helps us see this, for example, when introducing what God's wrath is like. He writes this, To some, wrath suggests a loss of self-control, an outburst of seeing red, which is partly, if not wholly, irrational. To others, it suggests the rage of conscious impotence, or wounded pride, or plain bad temper. Surely it is said, it would be wrong to ascribe to God such attributes as these. The reply is, indeed, it would. But the Bible does not ask us to do this. The Bible does not ask us to view God's anger in the same way our anger often shows up in our daily lives. Our anger often shows up as the result of not being able, conscious impotence, or from wounded pride when we feel like we don't get the accolades we need, or from just plain old impatience. Again, what Packer is accomplishing here in these chapters is a reorientation of our imagination to the witness of all of Holy Scripture so that we can come to see God as He truly is. In a similar way, Packer helps us to see God as He is truly revealed in Scripture when it comes to God's goodness and severity. Packer writes about in chapter 16 a Santa Claus theology where we come to view God more like a forbearing, tolerant, mild, accommodating deity. And this conception has caused us to reject all ideas of divine wrath and judgment and to assume that God's character is really one of indulgent benevolence without any severity. Here, Packer highlights again a common misunderstanding, but in this case about God's goodness and His love. Something that we often see, as he says, as an indulgent benevolence with no severity attached to it. C.S. Lewis once wrote about God's goodness and love in a similar way. In The Problem of Pain, Lewis seeks to clarify what we mean when we talk about God's goodness and how it differs from the way Scripture and the church have always talked about it. And I want to read, actually, a quotation from Problem of Pain in length because I believe it not only echoes what Packer is talking about here in Knowing God, 
but it will also help us flesh out what he means by God's goodness and severity. And it will also provide us a smooth transition into talking about God's jealousy. This is what Lewis writes. By the goodness of God, we mean nowadays kindness, the desire to see others than the self happy, not happy in this way or in that, but just happy. We want, in fact, not so much a father in heaven as a grandfather in heaven, a senile benevolence whose plan for the universe was simply that it might be truly said at the end of each day, a good time was had by all. When Christianity says that God loves man, it means that God loves man. Not that he has some disinterested because really indifferent concern for our welfare, but that an awful and surprising truth, we are the objects of his love. The great spirit you so lightly invoked is present, not a senile benevolence that drowsily wishes you to be happy in your own way, but the consuming fire himself, the love that made the worlds, provident and venerable as a father's love for a child, jealous, inexorable, exacting as a love between the sexes. In other words, what God offers us is something better than mere kindness. God does not have a disinterested concern for our welfare. As Lewis says elsewhere, he's not like a judge who just has a cold philanthropy for someone else. But God's goodness and love is a consuming fire. It's the same love, as Lewis says, that spoke the worlds into being. And it cares how you turn out, so to speak, just as a good parent cares how their child turns out, or just as a husband cares who his wife spends time alone with, and vice versa. And this leads me finally to Packer's treatment of God's jealousy. Packer helps us see in chapter 17 that God's jealousy is not some petty possessiveness, or in Packer's words, an infantile resentment springing from an unmortified covetousness which expresses itself in envy, malice, and meanness of action. But instead, God's jealousy is the product of his committed, zealous love for his beloved, like the committed love of a spouse for his beloved, that we understand instinctively from the context of marriage, where the intrusion of an extramarital lover should stoke a zealous response to protect that bond of marriage from anything that could possibly destroy it. The ferocity of God's love isn't born out of neediness, but out of an overflowing desire for the beloved. What the late Rich Mullins, the Christian singer, once referred to as the reckless raging fury that they call the love of God. Now, on a final note, I want us to see one last thing. Packer helps us to see this word necessary as wholly foreign to God, in particular in this chapter on God's jealousy, through his treatment of Holy Scripture's use of anthropomorphisms. Now, anthropomorphisms are descriptions of God drawn from human life, depicting God as having human qualities, including feelings, changes of heart, 
the ability to smell and hear for some examples. And they are fundamental to the way God condescends in Scripture to help us know Him. But as Packer warns, we have to remember that man is not the measure of his maker and that when the language of human personal life is used of God, none of the limitations of human creaturehood are thereby implied. Those elements and human qualities which show the corrupting effect of sin have no counterpart in God. This is a good place to bring this session to a close and to bring us back to where we started. That Packer in these chapters is seeking to help to create in us a greater capacity for knowing who God is by expanding our imagination according to the scope of all of Holy Scripture. Not just the God of our own imaginings, which we often imagine to be a human being on a grander scale, but an image of God, as I just said, shaped by the whole scope of Scripture. So that when we think of God's wrath, when we think of His goodness or His severity, when we think of His jealous love for His people, we see Him as He is truly revealed in His Word and ultimately in the Word, Jesus Christ, the divine Word who took on human form and revealed that while God has no need of us, He wants us and nothing in heaven or on earth, nor in even death or hell itself can stop his relentless pursuit of making all things new in us and in all the world. <laughs>